When we trust in the plans of man, it is not good. We must learn to trust in God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we study the Bible in one year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Today we're going to study Jeremiah chapter 17. As we focus on this, we're going to be teaching on that in five minutes time. It is a very interesting day to study the Word of God. Corey. Well, I'm going to be focusing in on Jeremiah chapter 19 and God's punishment for a very heinous crime. Ryan? Does God's anger last only for a moment or does it last forever? This is the question that I'm going to be trying to answer today on the program. Very good. I look forward to that. And as we discuss it, we're going to be focusing on the Word of God. So open up your Bible guide and let's open to the Word of God, Jeremiah 17, and let's hear what he's saying. Jeremiah 17, verses 1 through 8. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of your altars, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. O my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 18, and Jeremiah chapter 19. That's what we read today as we continue to go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one year, reading all of the Bible. These three chapters are fascinating. Now, today's passage highlights the contrast between God's wisdom and man's wisdom, and there's a big contrast between that, God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Even the wisest king of Israel, famous King Solomon, failed to properly lead God's people. You see, we need more than wisdom to live a godly life and leadership. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. Even when it may not always seem wise to us, 
That is when we need to trust in the character and the nature of God from his word. He alone knows the future. He alone can see clearly into the hearts of men and women. Now, Jeremiah 17 reveals that the people have become established in their sinful ways, in their sin. And the sin is written on their hearts and, and their pagan altars. But later in the chapter, the righteous man is envisioned as a tree planted by the river where he gets his food. An image used several times in the Bible. Now this tree sends its roots out towards the river so that it has a constant source of water and is not reliant on the rain or the seasons alone. This image highlights the wisdom of man or woman who follows God's plan. No matter what the season of life, we find ourselves and our roots and are closed into the source of life. And that would be our Heavenly Father, God. Oh, this is a very good one. This is a very, very interesting one. As we look at chapter 17 today and focus on this, take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have one, call us or write us. We'll send you one. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. It'll take you there. But let me tell you something. A tree planted by the river. Uh, several times in the scripture, we've read it in Psalms. And of course, Psalms 1 is the best place for that but a tree planted by a river. In other words, the roots of the tree go into the ground, and when the ground gets dry, no problem, because it reaches out to the river, where water's coming down and it can get its nourishment there. And that's so important today. We need to be like trees planted by the rivers of water. So help us, Lord, I pray, as we want to be like that. We want to be people with a source of power that is not from this world, but it's from you. You are outside of this world, but you're in this world through us. Help us, Lord, and your Holy Spirit is here. Help us, Lord, to understand that and understand what you're saying to us today as we focus on teaching our minds through the discipline of the Word of God to know your ways and your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of us said together, make it so or amen. That's a great way to close our prayer as we open up the scripture and look carefully at the Bible. Jeremiah 17, verses 1 to 4. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of a diamond. It is engraved on the table of their hearts and on the horns of your altars. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills, Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth. All your treasures and your high places of sin within all of your borders, and you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. God is talking about his judgment. You see, when we ignore the will of God, we live in sin. S-I-N. We must choose wisely because we live with our decisions. Whatever decisions we make, we're going to live with. And the decisions we made 50 years ago, we're living with 
right now. You can watch it on the news. Watch everything on the news. Very interesting, isn't it? Those decisions change the way we live now. And so we need to pay attention. It is time for us to come back to the Lord. We need to do that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 tells us something. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Which brings me to this point. When we trust in the plans of mankind, we are foolish. When we trust in the plans of mankind, we are foolish. We should trust in the will and the work of God Almighty. Beloved, this is not the time when we need this party or that party. I've said this so many times. This is the time when we need to come back to God and repent and say, Lord, help us. Help us to live right and move forward. Help us, Father. Very important. Well, let's go on because this next one is really interesting. Chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now here it is, verse 8. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Fascinating. You see, misplaced trust brings fear and anxiety in times of drought. I want you to hear that. I'm going to leave it up there. Misplaced trust brings fear and anxiety in times of drought. To trust and hope in the Lord brings his supply of blessing and strength at all times. It is time for us not to trust in parties and all that stuff. It's time for us to pray. Trust in the Lord. And Father God, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you and we pray that you would hear us. Forgive us of our sin. We are in trouble. Bottom line. Nobody can get us out of this trouble. It's a spiritual problem. And help us, Father. We pray in the coming elections in the United States of America, in Canada, and other parts of the world. We pray, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name, that you would help us as we turn our lives, those of us who choose on this program watching right now, to turn our lives towards you. Help us to do that. Because we pray we don't know the answers. Help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask this in your wonderful name. And we all said together, Amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV 
on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Welcome back to the program. Today we're continuing our journey through the book of Jeremiah, and we read a lot in the prophets about God's frustration and anger towards those who refuse to repent and turn to him despite the many, many warnings to do so. And this actually brings up a related issue, specifically regarding the length of God's anger. Because some skeptics have claimed that the Bible contradicts itself on these issues, since passages like Psalm 30 verse 5, Jeremiah 3 verse 12, and Micah 7 verse 18 all seem to indicate that God's anger is very brief. But on the other hand, passages like Numbers 32 13, Jeremiah 17 4, Malachi 1 4, and Matthew 25 verses 41 and 46 seem to claim that God's anger lasts a long time and even for eternity in some cases. So the question is, is God's anger brief or does it last forever? Well, let's examine this apparent contradiction very closely. The Word of God has been under attack since the beginning of time. In the garden when tempting Eve, the father of lies questions God's words. Did God really say? Since then, this sown seed of skepticism has grown and flourished for thousands of years, producing the rotten fruit of lies and disbelief. As a result, today we live in an age of record doubt and skepticism towards the scriptures. So skeptical, in fact, that even a skeptic's annotated Bible has been published. However, the lies and errors lie not within God's word, but with the skeptic. For example, critics proclaim that there is a massive contradiction in the Bible regarding God's anger. They cynically ask, how long does God's anger last? Psalms 35, Jeremiah 3.12, and Micah 7.18 all indicate that God's anger is very brief, whereas Numbers 32.13, Jeremiah 17.4, Malachi 1.4, and Matthew 25 verses 41 and 46 all indicate that God's anger is long or even eternal. There are, however, at least two problems with this allegation. First, the critic here has committed the logical fallacy of bifurcation. That is, they have created a false dilemma or an either-or situation. This occurs when a person asserts that there are only two exclusive options, when in fact there is a third possibility. Second, they have also failed to consult the original language of these passages. This is very important, since there are several different types of anger, wrath, indignation, and displeasure. These are often indicated by the specific Hebrew or Greek word used in the context, and can denote very significant distinctions. The critic here rolls all these together as if they were one. Also, the Bible teaches that God's anger toward the unrepentant is quite different from his anger toward believers. For the redeemed, God's anger is brief, but for the unrepentant, God's anger lasts long, or even forever. As far as the two verses in Matthew 25 are concerned, these are referring to punishment, with no explicit mention of anger or wrath. In fact, Matthew 25:46, one of the very verses in question, explains clearly that the difference depends on whether the person is positionally righteous or wicked, so the critic's error here is really inexcusable. The Bible is, always has been, and forever will be what it claims to be the Word of God. 
So as you can see, there's no problem with the biblical text. The problem lies with the critic who has erred on at least three points. First, he's committed the logical fallacy known as bifurcation, which is when a false dilemma is created, that is, an either-or situation. Second, the critic didn't check the original Hebrew and Greek languages because if he had, he would have realized that there are different types of anger, wrath, indignation, and displeasure. And third, one of the very verses that the critic is questioning, which is Matthew 25, 46, clearly explains that the difference with God's anger depends on whether the person is positionally righteous or wicked. So rather than denying this truth uh, through faulty reasoning, this should create a healthy fear in us to turn to and trust on Jesus Christ, the only one who can make us righteous in God's sight. So it's, in other words, it's, it's our attitude towards God. It's our attitude towards him and whether we've taken Jesus Christ. And that really affects uh, the what we would call the anger of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, we see it in Jeremiah, the continued rebellion, the continued, that sort of behavior. God doesn't appreciate that. But when we choose to, we turn, then, you know, God relents. It's very, very interesting because God has already changed the condition for us if we accept Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Absolutely. As our He's Lord made a way. Yeah. yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Brian. Corey. Okay, well, this is a difficult subject that I want to talk to everyone about today. Uh, it's a difficult subject for me as a mother. I mean, my, my youngest is only nine months old as we're recording this. And, and Jeremiah in chapter 19 is talking about uh, the issue of child sacrifice and how God is going to punish this specific sin in Israel. And, and he, he talks about how the besiegement and destruction of Jerusalem is going to be the result of child sacrifice and idolatry. So my question is, how is this a fitting punishment for child sacrifice? And when we think about this issue, uh, how God punishes heinous sin, specifically the murder of children, I think one, one thing that pops up in my head right away is the, is the account, the biblical account of the Exodus. So, uh, remember that the, think of it when the Egyptians had destroyed an entire generation, of Israelite men by throwing male babies into the Nile River. When God brings judgment on the Egyptians for that, what's the first plague of Egypt? He turns the water of the Nile River into blood. He reveals what was truly done. They sacrificed babies in the Nile River and God thus turns the Nile River into blood. And then what's the final plague to cap it off? Well, it's the death of the firstborn without following the instructions of God, without repentance and obedience to the destruction of God, death follows, right? And and so we learn from this that a lot of times God's punishments for a sin reveal the truth of the sin, right? The, the, the act of the murder of the Israelite boys in Egypt, it was murder. It was evil. And God brought fitting judgment without repentance and obedience. Death always follows sin. Okay. So back to Judah and Jerusalem then and Jeremiah's prophecy of the destruction uh, and judgment for Judah's evil. So. I want to read to you quickly in Jeremiah chapter 19, starting in verse four. This is what Jeremiah says. Well, God says through Jeremiah, 
For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to the gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call this place Topheth or the Valley of Ben Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. In this place, I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who want to kill them. I will give their carcasses as food to the birds and wild animals. I will devastate the city and make it an object of horror and scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh because their enemies will press the siege so hard against them to destroy them. All right. And then, and then when you go back to Jeremiah chapter seven, the same judgment is given, but it goes even further. God says, even the dead bodies of long buried kings and priests and prophets and people of Jerusalem will be yanked by the enemies out of the tomb and exposed to the air. So the name of the valley that they're sacrificing their children in will be changed to the valley of slaughter because so many people will die that they won't even be able to bury them. They'll just throw their bodies there. Their bodies will be exposed to the elements and the wild animals. The long dead bodies will be exposed as well. Jerusalem become an object of horror and scorn. They'll, she'll be besieged and the people will eat the flesh of their sons and daughters and each other, presumably the people who had already died from starvation in the siege. And Jerusalem will be defiled by dead bodies and by fire, just as the Valley of Ben-Hinnom or Topheth was. So we see this principle without repentance and obedience comes death for death, death for sin and evil. The Valley of Burning is changed into the Valley of Slaughter. It reveals what it really is. This isn't the Valley of Burning. This is a Valley of Slaughter. Jerusalem becomes a place of cannibalism, shame, and horror. God exposes what it really is. People at this time, they're taking pride in its beauty, but God sees what's below the surface. It is evil. It's filled with the most heinous evil. So God is going to reveal that evil by making it a place of shock and horror. Uh, there's a revealing of the truth here in that child sacrifice is the reversal of the natural order. Parents are supposed to protect their children, not sacrifice them. So will the siege of Jerusalem reverse the natural order. People will cannibalize other people's dead bodies. It's not a natural thing. There's a reversal here. And there's an ironic justice of God. Uh, while there may have been no respect for the death of the sacrificed children, in fact, it's very plausible that their bodies were never buried at all so too will the bodies of the dead Jerusalemites just be heaped in the valley of slaughter and exposed to the elements. We see here that God judges sin, and it's best for us not to forget this. Repentance and obedience is still what is required of us, and I think it should shake us to our very core that the murder of children, the murder of innocence, brings like punishment. That's something that we need to keep in mind even today. And we need to ask forgiveness of the Lord for mm -hmm. all of them. The, the death happening. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. uh, Janice? Yes, today I wanted to talk about the Lord is my light and my salvation. In um, Jeremiah chapter 17, he prays for deliverance. And I so appreciate the wording and the heartfelt cry that comes from Jeremiah and his trust 
and his hope in his God. We serve that same Lord God today. Jeremiah 17 verses 14 through 17. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you. Nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. God is with us. He heals us. He saves us. For God is our praise. It reminded me of Psalm 27 that begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble... He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. The end of this psalm, verses 13 and 14, something we need to hear today. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's very important, and we need to pray, Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us today as we seek your face and ask your forgiveness, and we are waiting on you. And so, Lord, that's what we do. This is how we end the program. We pray, and we say, Lord, forgive us and help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Rumble is a great social media platform that Bible Discovery TV, the program, is on. And I want to encourage you to get a hold of it and 
Look up Bible Discovery TV and subscribe to it. The program's on every single day. We're very excited about that with no commercial breaks, by the way. But today, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your strength. I want to thank you for your hope. Help us today to lean on you and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.